Hey guys, welcome back. This is part two of the sample of Flight from Fernalee. These are the special bonus edition episodes of uh, JC Breen's Flight from Fernalee. Hope you guys are enjoying it so far. It just gets better. The action builds here in this chapter for sure. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And remember to check her stuff out. You can do that on Twitter at JC Breen. And then her website is jcbreen.blogspot.com. And links are all down below. So go check out her stuff if you're enjoying this. And just give her a shout out. Let her know that you heard her stuff on Another World and that you really liked it. So without further ado, I give you the next bit from Flight from Fernalee. Jump to Fool. At last, the voyage came to an abrupt halt when an overhanging oak tree caught them in its branches. Just as well, because another few meters, and they'd have shot over a waterfall, which plunged dramatically into a treacherous gorge. I think we can get out now, said Miles. Speak for yourself, replied Alice. It's all very well for you, but I can't feel my legs. Even so, they managed to uncurl themselves from the trunk and waded stiffly through the freezing water to the bank. Where are we? asked Miles, as he looked around him. The river had widened dramatically, and both sides were generously fringed with trees. As their fear subsided and the blood began to circulate again through bruised and battered limbs, they both started shivering. "'We'd better get dry,' suggested Alice, ever practical, and they started hunting for twigs and anything else they could use to light a fire. Miles took out the flint Uncle Jeff had given him and tried to create a spark. He tried and tried and tried again. Eventually, after several attempts, Alice rifled in her pocket and produced a cigarette lighter. "'I didn't know you smoked,' cried Miles, shocked. "'I don't, silly,' Alice replied. "'Nasty, disgusting vice. I won this playing poker.' To their relief, it worked, and soon the fire was crackling brightly. So brightly and greedily, in fact, they had quite a job finding enough fuel to keep it going. This activity, if truth were told, probably kept them warmer than the fire did, but at least it stopped them dwelling on their problems— before long, Miles managed to find a couple of good-sized logs which burned more slowly, allowing them to relax for a while and enjoy the warmth. They sat huddled together in stunned silence as each tried to understand the awful events of the day. That, began Alice, was quite definitely the worst, most embarrassing thing that's ever, ever happened to me. What do you look like, Miles? As it happened, Miles was not dressed in the best possible taste. His yellow tea was stained with last night's gravy, and his jeans were an inch too short. "'I'm sorry, Alice,' he said, affecting the most sarcastic tone he could muster. "'But when you've like a billion evil people running after you and kidnapping your family, you don't stop to think what to wear for the occasion.' "'Who were those men, anyway?' said Alice. "'And what did they want with us?' "'Well, I'll tell you all I know,' her brother replied. "'But first of all, I'm going to have something to eat.' I'm starving. He rooted in his back pocket and took out a moldy piece of pepperoni pizza left over from his last takeaway. He hadn't had room for it, but could never say no. Want some? Alice winced and shook her head. Suit yourself. He shrugged and, spurred on by a few fierce digs in the ribs, gave Alice a basic rundown of events since Uncle Jeff's last visit. So what do we do now? said Alice. Miles frowned, and they both fell silent again, their spirits sinking. Neither had a clue. The fire's going out, Alice remarked gloomily. Then Miles had an idea. Oh no, he cried and leapt to his feet. Alice glanced up at him hopefully. We can strip the bark from the trees. That'll save us having to go off looking for logs again. Is that the best you can think of? snapped Alice, but Miles was too busy to listen. 
He opened his Swiss army knife, which Uncle Jeff had given him, and began hacking into a nearby tree when there was a spine-chilling, piercing, blood-curdling scream. The children shook with renewed terror. What's that? cried Alice. It's me, came a booming, disembodied voice. I'm bleeding. Who are you? yelled Miles. I'm Larch, was the answer, and a man's head suddenly appeared from the high branches of the tree, which Miles had started to strip. When you cut me with a knife, I scream. I'm Beach, another head popped down from the tree. And if you steal my bark, I'll die. And I'm horse, said yet another head. And if you hurt me, or whinny and kick and bite you, hard. All at once, dozens of people started jumping out from all over the place, down from the trees and out from the enormous ferns that fringed the forest. At first, it was almost impossible to distinguish men from the women, as they all sported beads and smocks and dreadlocks, and their faces were smeared with greeny-brown gunge. If they didn't look alarming enough, their makeshift clothes, dyed to blend into their surroundings, were decorated with assorted leaves and feathers. "'I didn't mean any harm,' cried Miles. "'I'd never hurt a tree on purpose. Honestly, I wouldn't.' Beach bent over him menacingly, his face contorted with rage and his breath foul. "'The trouble with you townies is you never think. You just don't care about the environment, do you? Well, do you?' "'Well, of course he doesn't,' yelled another of his friends. "'They're all alike. They don't deserve this beautiful planet.' Stung by their rebukes, Miles' chin began to quiver. So far, he'd managed to stay calm, but now he was being told off for harming a tree, and he couldn't take any more. Had he not been so upset, he'd have been shocked at Alice, who actually put her arm around him protectively. "'Leave him alone,' she said. "'He's just a kid.' Beach snorted. "'Small rats grow into big rats, along with every other kind of vermin, and have you ever taken a knife to one of my brothers again?' Beach pulled out his own knife, a huge bowie with a shining blade." Beach, put that away. Can't you see the lad's scared? It was a young woman who spoke. With her pierced nostrils, she looked quite fierce, like an Amazon, but her voice was gentle, and there was genuine kindness in her olive-green eyes. I'm Laurel, she said. What's your name, lad? Miles, he replied, and I'm not scared. Laurel knew better and glared at Beach angrily. You should be ashamed of yourself, a grown man like you. We'll take them back to the village. They'll be safe there. But if the police are after them... Laurel waved him aside. Well, I'm not going to grasp them up, and anyway, those men don't sound like fuzz to me. How do you know about the men? asked Miles. Are you psychic? Laurel laughed. Some might say so, but no, I was listening from the tree. We were there all the time, and you never guessed, did you? Come on, we'll take you. Come on, we'll take you back to the village and get you some dry clothes. Alice glanced sideways at Laurel's outfit and prayed she wouldn't have to wear anything of hers. I'd rather die, she thought, and immediately felt guilty for her lack of gratitude. Just a minute, said Beach gruffly. How do we know we can trust them? This time, it was Larch who answered. Come off it, Beach. You're too suspicious by half. After all, they're just kids. Well, I reckon we should blindfold them said Beach. Isn't that our rule? Well, isn't it? The others groaned, but Beach insisted, and Laurel agreed to abide by the rules, so the cold, frightened young Hodwins had scarves tied round their eyes before being half-carried, half-led to the tree people's village. Although unable to see, Miles tried to keep track of their journey by using his other senses, 
just as Uncle Jeff once taught him, and he noticed the ferns becoming particularly dense around his knees. Start crawling, hissed Beach, and Miles was pushed into a large rabbit hole, which smelled humid and dank. He heard Alice squeal with horror as she realized they were underground. Don't worry, soothed Laurel. There's nothing here to harm you. I come through here every day. But Alice wouldn't be consoled. I'll ruin my nails, she cried, much to the amusement of the tree people, and it was a wretched girl who finally emerged from the tunnel with at least three chipped talons. But at least the path was easier from now on. In all, the village lay about a mile from the river, an area nestled deep in the forest where a variety of trees had been adapted for human habitation. When the blindfolds were removed, Alice and Miles saw nothing out of the ordinary at first, but there were people actually living in the trees, their tiny huts painted various shades of green to blend into the foliage. Accessible only by ropes, a series of nets connected each tree to his neighbor, and these too were completely camouflaged. Only the sound of muffled conversation and the sight of people climbing up and down their homemade rope ladders gave away the village's existence. Strange, thought Miles. I thought I knew every inch of this forest, and I've never seen this before. Laurel, who obviously commanded respect from her fellow tree-dwellers, led Miles and Alice to the foot of a beautiful oak and started cooing like a dove. That's my signal. She smiled, and almost immediately, a rope ladder appeared from the high branches above. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you okay with heights? She asked. Her guests nodded and were ushered up the ladder. Inside, Laurel's treehouse was surprisingly comfortable. There was a squashy rose-colored settee, a highly polished table, a matching cupboard, a small fridge, and a campus stove. In one corner, Laurel even had a makeshift shower concocted from a spray nozzle, a length of hose, and a large bucket. And this was supplied by a large rain bucket fastened securely to the trunk of the tree a few meters up from her dwelling. Soft viola curtains, richly colored throws, and a luxurious Chinese rug gave Laurel's home a hint of glamour, which impressed Alice to no end, while skillfully placed mirrors created a sense of space. This is so cool, Alice declared. Miles was equally odd. I've always wanted to live in a treehouse, and then his stomach rumbled embarrassingly loud. You must be hungry said Laurel, and she pulled out a packet of veggie burgers from her makeshift fridge. You can sleep here tonight, she said, and I'll make you something nice to eat. It seems strange to watch this strange, warlike person opening tins and frying burgers, but oh, how good it was to have a proper cooked meal again. Nothing had ever tasted so delicious. Laurel smiled as the children tucked into their food. Have you always lived here? asked Miles between mouthfuls. No. 
Laurel replied. I was brought up in an ordinary house like you. You must have been very unhappy, Miles remarked. Actually, I had the happiest childhood ever, said Laurel. But then something happened, and... Briefly, her face darkened with sad memories. Let's just say I needed a haven, and we're better to find one than in a forest, she exclaimed. Are you an outlaw? asked Miles. Alice kicked him in the shin. Of course she isn't, she said crossly. We're outlaws, Miles announced. We've got secret services after us, and he felt quite proud of the fact. Well, someone seems to be after you, said Laurel. And you have no idea why? Laurel handed him a cup of hot steaming tea. It's something to do with my parents, something they did when they were young. And then there's this man called Lemus, who hates them because they might know things, or something of the sort, I don't really know. But then, grown-ups never tell children anything important, just let them get dragged off into who knows where by who knows what. His voice trailed off when he realized that somewhere along the line, Laurel had stopped listening. The young woman was standing, cup in hand, frozen like a statue, eyes wild with fear, and her face blanched the color of chalk. Did you say Elimus? That name again. Why did it trigger such strange reactions? Do you know him? asked Miles. No, at least not personally, thank God. Laura replied. She paused and stared intently at her guests. You two are in terrible danger. Miles and Alice looked at each other, anxiety rising once more. Laurel went to the window and cooed again, this time with more urgency. Within minutes, Larch, Beach, and Horse arrived, swinging in from neighboring trees. What's up? they asked in unison. Laurel regarded them steadily. Summon the village, she cried. We need a council. The council was a rare event for the tree people, only called in dire emergencies. A council? gasped Beach. That's a bit drastic, isn't it? A full council for two snotty kids. We didn't even call one when Roots got nicked that time when... Beach, this is an emergency. Please, just do as I ask. Beach and his cronies disappeared down the rope ladder, muttering under their breath, and Laurel turned to Miles and Alice. Don't worry, she said. No one's going to hurt you. We won't let them hurt you. If Miles had been somewhat alarmed earlier, Laurel's trembling attempt to stay calm really freaked him out, and her constant don't worries didn't do much to reassure him either. An hour later, the whole village was congregated, everyone sitting cross-legged round a huge fire which Beach, Larch, and Horse had built with dead wood and peat. It smoked horribly and stunk even worse. Miles was staggered to see how many of the villagers there actually were, at least a hundred people, all living in total invisibility from the outside world. Normally, they'd be strumming homemade fiddles and guitars, relaxing relaxing with mugs of gooseberry wine and mead made from honey as they chatted happily about the day's events. But now, there was a tension in the air, and they waited in silence until Laurel began to speak. First of all, let me introduce you. This is Miles Hodwin and his sister Alice, who have just survived a horrible and traumatic experience. Their parents have been arrested on a trumped-up charge, and no one knows where they are or who's taken them. We do know that their younger brother was also abducted, and he's just 11 years old, so must be feeling really scared right now. Yeah, well what are we supposed to do about it? Beach said. He bit into an apple, apparently unmoved by the Hodwin's plight. Yes, what's it to us? Horse echoed, 
It wasn't that he didn't care, but he enjoyed the peace of the forest, and was loath to get involved with outsiders. Oh, come on, replied Laurel. Think about it. Why are we here? We're dropouts, hippies, crusties, whatever people like to call us, but we're all united in this respect. We hate the world as we know it, so we've rejected it, and here we are, minding our own business, looking after ourselves, and keeping out of the rat race. Actually, I'd like to challenge that remark. A young man with a long ponytail and a bone through his nose stood up. You can speak for yourself, but I faced water cannons with the best of them. Yeah, and I've broken a few shop windows in my time, agreed another villager, who glowered indignantly from under generously pierced eyebrows. And I've knocked dozens of policemen's helmets off, exclaimed another tree person proudly. At this, several others started boasting about their past achievements until Laurel had to clap her hands to get their attention. Look, I'm not here to criticize anyone. The fact is, we may be very quick to join a riot when it suits us, but are we willing to get personally involved? Are we prepared to help three kids who, for no fault of their own, are being hounded? Their parents disappeared without a moment's notice, their worlds turned upside down, and they're being chased by forces none of us can even comprehend. They need our help. So what's in it for us? asked a villager. Yeah, said another. Is it ecological, I ask myself? Or ethical, remarked Beach. After all, these kid parents could be fascists for all we know. They might be bankers or tax collectors, someone suggested. Or meat eaters, cried another wag, wearing what looked like a bin bag over his head. Some of the villagers laughed, infuriating the vegans amongst them. Laurel sighed with frustration. Let's stick to the point. The point being, came the bored reply from a man virtually covered with tattoos. The point being, who's prepared to help these children find their brother and rescue him? Most of the villagers began to groan, unwilling to help two snotty, middle-class teenagers, all except for one pale, skinny young man with extraordinary dreadlocks that twisted and twirled in every direction but his scalp. He'd been listening intently to Laurel's pleas and was deeply disturbed by them. "'What do you think, Roots?' asked Laurel. "'I think,' he began falteringly. "'I mean, that is, what I think is, that every young person that gets stolen away from his house should have an automatic rock to be rescued, and if no one else will do it, then then it ought to be us. That's what I think, and I'd like to go on record, please.' "'Rescue them from what? School detention?' A fellow tree-dweller demanded. There was another roar of laughter, which died quickly out as Laurel took a position in the middle of the circle, and, with arms akimbo, she turned gradually to challenge each villager with a long, hard stare. Miles was very impressed. Not even Alice could compete with that, he thought. Satisfied she had everyone shifting uneasily at her silent reproach, Laurel spoke softly, but with authority. From forces so corrupt, so pitiless, so evil... They make your worst nightmare seem like a fairy tale in comparison. There was a pause, broken only by a few nervous titters. Then Laurel continued. Has anyone here heard the name Alimus? Most of the villagers shook their heads, although one or two gasps could be heard. Eventually, a large ginger-haired man in a homemade kilt rose to his feet. Did I hear you say Alimus? He asked gravely. That's what you heard, Gordon. Laurel replied. And you say he's after these poor creatures? He is, Laurel replied. Gordon spat with contempt. That's what I think of Elimus. 
and if he's got the clout to be dragging kids away from their beds, then anyone with any decency has to stop him. Another man stood up. Unlike most of the others, his head was completely bald, and he sported a goatee beard. I've heard of Alimus too, but I thought it was just another conspiracy theory. But if only half of what I've heard is true, then there's no hope for any of us. Rubbish! snarled Gordon. He's a mere mortal who can bleed like anyone else. Count me in, I'll have the young'uns right enough. Who knows, I might even get a chance to spit in the devil's own face, him and his cronies. Laurel glanced around the council. Anyone else up for a battle? After a while, Larch rose to his feet. Not that I'm bothered about the kids, mind, he mumbled, desperate to maintain his hard man image. But it's a long time since I last saw any action, and I'm getting rusty. Beach, too, rose to his feet. I could do with some practice myself, he announced. I don't know who this Alimus is, but I'm always up for a riot. In the interest of justice, of course, he added quickly. Just then, Miles thought of something to inspire the tree people, and he sprang eagerly to his feet. And you know what? When we were trying to escape from those horrible men, they set fire to the wood near us and burnt it. All of it. All those wonderful trees. Gasps of horror engulfed the council. Almost to a man and woman, the assembly stood up and hoarse growled angrily. I've got no clue who this Alimus is, but anyone who murders my brothers, well, he deserves a good pasting. No mistake. Laurel hugged each one of the volunteers. I knew you'd help, she said. There is never any doubt of that with me, said Gordon, swirling a rope enthusiastically. You're a big softy, Laurel exclaimed, and flung her arms around his massive neck. Soft in the head, you mean? Larch said. So let's get practical. Tell us, Miles, where did these nasty beggars take your brother then? Miles racked his brain. He remembered a name one of the men referred to. A place. It was on the tip of his tongue. I think it was the... Babble Babbly... Come on, laddie, stop babbling, rapped Gordon. Have you any idea what sort of place it is? It took several more minutes for Miles to think, but at last he remembered. It was a treat, I think he said. Yeah, yes, a treat. The babble retreat at Moorside, cried Larch. You must be joking, we'll never get in there. Oi, it'll be easier to break into Buckingham Palace, added Gordon, then his craggy face broke into a grin. But hey, I'm always up for a challenge. So who's with us then? Who's had babble? And the whole assembly cheered. Miles turned to Alice and smiled. My stomach ache's gone, he said. And that brings us to the conclusion of today's episode. But don't worry, we're continuing on tomorrow. So make sure to tune in for that and catch the last part of this sample. Like I said, this is just a sample. So go check out her work. Make sure you uh, subscribe to her blog. She's putting out a lot of awesome stuff there. It'll be a lot of fun to follow her there. So go ahead and do that. Remember, all the links are down below. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast and for sharing it with people that you know who love audiobooks. Come on, I know there's somebody that you know who would love to hear this audiobook. So go ahead and tell them about Another World Audiobooks. You can just send them a quick text or send them an email, whatever it takes to get them listening to the podcast. That just, it makes all the difference in the world. So we'll talk to you guys tomorrow.
Don't worry, you aren't the only one. You aren't the only business that needs help. You aren't the only person that has a hard time finding the right help at the right price. This is where Business Bloodline becomes your bloodline to temporary and permanent staffing. Business Bloodline specializes in hiring internet workers to creatively solve problems for your business. Business Bloodline does all the vetting and only delivers candidates that make sense for your needs and at a cost that you can afford. But 60 seconds isn't enough for me to tell you why hiring through Business Bloodline is safer, cheaper, and less time consuming. We would rather show you. To get more information or a business consultation, visit businessbloodline.com. If the job can be done on a computer, Business Bloodline can find a match. Visit businessbloodline.com and tell them that you heard about it on Another World Audiobooks to get 10% off your first hire. Remember to mention that you heard about it on Another World Audiobooks to get that 10% off. Businessbloodline.com